He suck his finger in the end of your what? Howdy, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, and take a nice cold sip of a Saspa Suspa. It's Support Your Local Podcast, the show where we take a look at the 1969 Western comedy classic Support Your Local Sheriff, one chapter at a time. I'm your host, Robert Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today we take a look at chapter 10, Dead Troublemakers. I wonder who they mean by that. Uh, But before we do, I want to take a, a moment to just kind of give you a lay of the land, so to speak, in regards to not just the the setting of the movie, but also the time frame that the movie was coming out in a segment that I like to call, It Came in 69. That gun had gone off and it blowed right up in my face. Not, it wouldn't have done my finger a hell of a lot of good either, would it? In 1869, the Edinburgh Seven, led by Sophia Jex Blake, start to attend lectures at the University of Edinburgh Medical School. These are the first women in the United Kingdom to do so, Uh, However, they will not be allowed to take degrees just yet. The Red River Rebellion breaks out against British forces in Canada. Gamma Sigma becomes the first high school fraternity in North America at Brockport Normal School, Brockport, New York. England's first residential university-level women's college, the College for Women, this is the predecessor to Girton College in Cambridge, is founded at Hitchin by Emily Davies and Barbara Bodicon. Mahatma Gandhi, the Indian political leader, is born. John Heisman, the American football coach, is born. And let's jump ahead to 1969, where one of the greatest cultural events in 1969 for Britain, Monty Python's Flying Circus, airs on BBC One for the first time. This was on October 5th. This would obviously revolutionize what we saw as comedy for the day, uh, and obviously has had a huge impact in my life, uh, being a huge Monty Python fan growing up. Um, I discovered them at a young age and and continue to watch them to this day. But October 5th, 1969, remember that date. It's the date that uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus first airs. Uh, In Presidio Heights, Washington, cab driver Paul Stein is shot and killed. This is the last known murder of the Zodiac Killer. On October 12th, Nancy Kerrigan, figure skater, is born. A candlelight march and other activities are staged by peace demonstrators around the White House. And the streets of Washington is part of the Vietnam Moratorium Day. Capping a momentous season, the New York Mets win the World Series in Game 5. A 5-3 triumph over the Baltimore Orioles. Cyclamates found in artificial sweeteners are banned in the U.S. Due to evidence they cause cancer found in laboratory rat test subjects. Author and prolific presence of the beat generation Jack Korak dies of alcoholism in St. Petersburg. Samuel Beckett, the Irish author of Endgame and Waiting for Godot, is awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. And finally, economists Jan Timbergen and Ragnar Frisch are awarded the first Nobel Prize in Economics for developing and harnessing the dynamic models for the analysis of economic processes. And this has been It Came in 69. Wow! So we start our chapter, Dead Troublemakers, with a shot of the town street and the beginning of an almost eerie piece of score, it's a, it's a bit of strings 
um, of, and you just kind of get the feel of something looming and about to happen. It, uh, it transitions into what will be a familiar guitar piece throughout the, the movie. And I have to say, whenever I hear it, it may just be a very simple riff. I'm not a musician. I'm not a guitarist by any stretch of the imagination. But it, re it immediately reminds me of the guitar piece in Rio Bravo, the, uh, the cutthroat song that they, the, the villain pays the mariachi band in the bar to play nonstop uh, to kind of get under the, the skin and get on the nerves of our heroes, uh, John Wayne and, and um, Dean Martin and such. And if any of my musician friends are out there, is there a name for this piece or this little bit of riff? Because I feel like I've heard it or something very similar to it in so many different movies and shows. Um, Sean, hey, Sean, if you're listening out there, hit me up. Uh, shout out to my longtime friend, Sean O'Neill, uh, better known to man, woman, child, and many federal agencies as Shizzy. Uh, if you're ever in the Lima, Ohio area and one of his bands are playing, please, please, please go check out Shizzy. Uh, he is my, my musical genius friend. So shout out to Sean if you're listening. Anyways, uh, we see Jake leaning against a post and a rider behind him dismounts and hitches his horse behind him. He approaches Jake and asks where the sheriff is. And Jake, oblivious to the music that led the man into town, obviously he wasn't listening, does him the favor of pointing the sheriff out to the man. And the stranger approaches the sheriff and for whatever reason hollers, Sheriff, before going for his gun. This gives the sheriff just enough time to outdraw him and the gunslinger is uh, fortunately for a sheriff slain. And whoop, whoop, whoop. We get our first Western trope alert of the episode, uh, street gunfights. So just like the legality of Joe murdering the man in the saloon, I wonder what the outcome of this would have been should the gunslinger had been successful. So there's not the hope of using the self-defense card for this one like Joe is using because there are people all around the street Jake included. So the, the deputy to the sheriff is standing right there. And they've all seen this man approach the sheriff, yell sheriff, and draw first. So at least Joe had the decency of trying to make it seem like self-defense by doing the shoulder trick. Uh, maybe the intent would have been he shoots the sheriff and then he hops back on his horse and disappears. But this all seems a, a, a bit risky as he would have he would had to have gotten through what would guaranteed have been a crowd gathering at the recently slain sheriff, whether it was in shock, horror or just entertainment, because as we've seen earlier in, in the movie, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot to entertain these folks. But granted, the the town is rowdy enough and used to such carnage, but you know, so maybe he could have gotten out unscathed, but it's interesting to see what Jake's response would have been. He's already shown that he has the sheriff's back, literally, uh, as as we saw in the, the saloon and arresting Joe Danby. Um, he's willing to shoot a man who is trying to kill the sheriff. But we're left to wonder if he would continue that trend if the sheriff was killed, because would it give him a feeling that he's finally free of this unwilling position the sheriff has put him in? 
or would he be compelled as a good character to defend him? Um, Jake's now spent some time with the sheriff, and we had that great scene or of the two of them fishing and mining, though it, it wasn't completely a, a pleasant experience for Jake, who had to do all the work, but he has had the opportunity to quit or get fired, and he does seem to be enjoying, albeit reluctantly, his new position in life. So when he asked the sheriff if he wanted the badge back for finding out that his dad was a horse thief, uh, the sheriff said no, and you could see the, the a, a little bit of look of relief and a smile break across uh, Mr. Elam's face when when he heard that. When the sheriff asks if anyone knows who he was, Jake does claim his part in this, but albeit it's before he really realizes the full ramifications of what he accidentally did. And there's a nice piece of the sheriff slowly looking up at Jake, and you have to wonder if Jake is wondering, or excuse me, uh, uh, of if the sheriff is wondering the same thing that we just said of exactly whose side is Jake on and can he be as trusted as, as we thought. We fade to what will be Chekhov's cannon and another almost identical writer. Um, for those that don't know uh, the, the thing of Chekhov's gun, it's, it's what happens in stories and movies to where if you introduce a gun in the first act of a, of a show, you have to then use that gun uh, by the end of the, the movie. It's You're introducing a, a piece that has to be resolved or it has to be a pivotal part of the story. Um, so I call it Chekhov's canon for a reason. Stay tuned. The, the almost identical writer strikes a match on the cannon wheel and he continues to ride in. And it's a great bit when this scene starts because the music that we previously heard completely restarts eerie piece and the guitar riff total and i love this touch because it's almost as if the composer or even the movie itself is resetting the scene as if the last one didn't count it it, it harkens to the shows and movies that have had a scene where someone is fantasizing a situation and when something doesn't work out completely they shake it off and they restart it with a different twist to solve the problem and I, I think of, for an example, uh, Shaun of the Dead, where Shaun's going through the battle plan of saving everyone and ending up with a pint at the Winchester. Um, but every time something else comes up or something brought up, he goes, okay, new plan. And it's a new plan, but they have to add that piece to it, but they all ultimately end up back at the Winchester. So just a nice little touch. And truly, perhaps, maybe this strain of gunslingers is Paul Danby fantasizing how it will play out. Maybe none of this is actually happening in real life. There must be trouble looming because our harbingers of danger, the doggos, go running by. The, the gunslinger pulls up to the sheriff's office and he stops Prudy from entering before going in, and this is assumably to to murder Jason. Prudy silently stands there, mouth agape as the door shuts, and moments later we hear two shots from within. The The door opens and the gunslinger stumbles out, falling dead at, at Prudy's feet. The, the sheriff and Jake exit the door and they take lunch from Prudy, who that's what she was there for, was to deliver their, their meal. And she runs off in horror. As I see Jake and Jason both leave the office, I wonder if the gunslinger got one of those two shots off or if both Jake and Jason shot him. 
Uh, we know the sheriff wouldn't have needed two shots to get the guy, so I'm curious as to whether the, the second shot came from the gunfighter or is Jason getting better at his, his quick draw. While we take a moment to mourn our fallen gunslingers, now is a good time to take a look at the man behind the movie, the writer, Mr. William Bowers, in a segment I call Remember the Name. That's about all I'm going to do the rest of my life is go around remembering your name. Welcome back to Remember the Name, the segment of our show where we where we take a deeper dive into some of the cast of characters or creators of the movie and see where they came from, where what got them to the point of making Support Your Local Sheriff. Today we're going to take a look at the writer, Mr. William Bowers. Born in January 1916, he left us in March of 1987. He was predominantly known as a reporter and writer, partnered quite a few times with our director, Burt Kennedy. He was in this troupe of people that he carried on through several movies, um, Mr. Kennedy himself a writer. Uh, so interesting the to see what the dynamic would have been when a director is predominantly known as a writer himself, how he works with a fellow writer. Started his career at RKO Studios, going into World War II, where he did serve in the Army Air Forces. Known predominantly for writing westerns and specifically comedies. Known for doing a story for Abbott and Costello, The Wistful Widow of Wagon Gap. Uh, also wrote westerns Black Bart, Highwayman, River Lady, uh, and also did some work um, for The Countess of Monte Cristo. Also provided the work for The Gal Who Took the West and some script work for Abandon. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar. In the late 50s, he would write a western comedy for Bob Hope, alias Jesse James. Uh, he also did two films for Jack Webb. Uh, in a fit of everything comes around, everything's full circle. Shout out to my Batman at folks. Um, Jack Webb, obviously the partner in Dragnet with Mr. Harry Morgan. Uh, also did some work with Glenn Ford and the Company of Cowards. Uh, and also the ride to Hayman's Tree before going into Support Your Local Sheriff. He would also go on to write after this. Uh, he would return for Support Your Local Gunfighter. So he is that core group of director, writer, cinema, photo cinema photographer, and uh, cast, including Mr. Garner, that would return for the so-called sequel. Afterwards, he would go on and write uh, for more Westerns, including The Wild Wild West Revisited and More Wild Wild West, um, all of which directed by uh, Burt Kennedy, the director of this movie. Again, he was in his core group of people that he constantly used. And when I was looking him up uh, on IMDb, the, the, the bit of interesting trivia that I found on it was uh, the picture that popped up I immediately recognized uh, was of this um, smaller, balding, glasses, mustached man uh, talking into a microphone. And I, again, I immediately recognized that as the senator in Godfather 2 during the hearings of Michael Corleone. And I wondered why that picture would pop up. And that's because that's him. Uh, if you remember in Godfather 2, there is the chairman of the committee who... Um, uh, the, the line that pops to mind is specifically when Robert Duvall asks if Al Pacino can uh, make a, a statement before the committee. 
and all the senators are clamoring that he shouldn't be able to do it. But this guy goes, no, 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 I'll allow it. That's William Bowers. So uh, he has only acted in a couple roles, one of which was the uh, the great Godfather too, and as a memorable character at that. So it was interesting when you're looking for the writer of Support Your Local Sheriff, you don't necessarily expect to find an actor in Godfather 2 uh, to pop up. So it was interesting to see that picture there. But um, yeah, Mr. Bowers uh, constantly wrote uh, from 1942 to 1967 single screenplays, but wrote consistently before getting on with that core group of people, uh, Burt Kennedy, um, Jack Webb, Glenn Ford, people like that, that constantly used him over and over again, had a very successful career um, as a writer. Uh, and uh, of course, like I said, as, as a bit actor as well. But uh, that has been a look at uh, William Bowers, the writer for Support Your Local Sheriff. And this has been Remember the Name. You tell him I remember his name. And we're back. We cut to the same group of riders who were dehorsed previously by the, the sheriff's rope. And this time they're slowly trotting along the road. The music is a nice, light, fluffy piece. And we see that the sheriff is pleased that they were acting correctly. So we are seeing an impact in the town with the sheriff. People are learning. Um, so it's a nice little touch to see the, the slow transition of the town uh, as you see the the streets and, and the backgrounds uh, moving forward, uh, you notice that the town is noticeably less congested with people, uh, less rowdiness. There's definitely a um, an impact that the sheriff is making on the town. So Jake runs up to the sheriff to inform him of yet another gunslinger in town. And the funny part is when the sheriff asks if he's sure, Jake says you can't miss the look of a professional gunfighter. Uh, despite the fact that not 20 seconds ago, he did exactly that. The sheriff and Jake walk to where the gunfighter is, and Prudy's approaching again with yet another meal. And I'm not sure what the time difference between all of these gunfights are. Are we to assume this is a different day than the last one? Or was the last meal that she brought lunch, and this is dinner that Prudy's bringing? And it would help if our characters actually changed outfits day to day. Uh, but even when we know there have been time lapses, so uh, we had the night transition a, a few episodes ago, they continue to wear identical outfits. As they walk along, they only get about halfway to the next building when Jake spots the man. Now, Jack Elam is looking directly across the street. When he taps Jason to get his attention, we see that the man is leaning against a water pump and facing the direction that the sheriff's office is. So if he was asking around town and looking for the sheriff, he would have literally been staring at the office 10 feet away and at Jake sitting on the porch just seconds ago. <laughs> so uh, a little bit of continuity issue with the, the, the logistics of the town. Um, but I did notice that on repeat viewings that uh, oh, hey, there's a, there's a gunslinger in town. Take three steps. There he is. The, the sheriff picks up rocks to throw at the gunfighter, and he starts chucking them at the fighter, and our heroes, the doggos, chase after him as the gunfighter runs away. And I'm not sure why the gunfighter runs off. I, I understand that he may be initially shocked that someone in a gunfight is chucking rocks at him. You know, you don't bring a rock to a gunfight. Or is that a knife? I always I get that confused. Um, but at some point, pull your gun and shoot him. 
know, that's what you were there for. The, the previous gunfighter uh, didn't even care if the sheriff drew his gun. He was there to shoot him. Another one was going to go directly into the office and just m- flat out murder him. Um, if somebody's throwing rocks at you, pull your gun out and shoot him. But alas, it, it is a comedy movie. We pan over to see the Danbys standing there on, on the boardwalk, and they're watching all of this unfold, uh, much to their chagrin. And we end our scene with Paul threatening the boys that if they say one word about what just happened, he'd chase them out as well, right along with that gunfighter. So a nice little end to our, our scene. And that concludes our chapter. Uh, we will return next week with chapter 11, A Busted Bust. Uh, not sure what, what's going on there, but uh, you'll have to ch- check back and see. Uh, otherwise, if you want to see it for yourself, uh, the movie is still free on Pluto TV. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Freevee, which is the uh, formerly IMDb TV. Uh, so definitely check it out. See what it is that we're talking about while you're there. Uh, also check out Support Your Local Gunfighter. Get a, get a feel for both movies. Uh, until then... Uh, Please, 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 if you haven't already, check us out on our social media. We are at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, Support Your Local Podcast. You can find us at supportyourlocalpodcast.com. Or if you want, uh, you should be able to find this podcast at all your favorite podcatchers. If I'm not on there, let me know. See if we can get get it available to you. Uh, On YouTube, we do release the episodes as well. Uh, So definitely, if you want, check us out there. For the... Robert recommends for the week. Uh, I've been hitting my movies by minutes, guys, the past couple weeks. I want to move on to something else because that's not the only thing that I listen to. Anybody that knows me uh, knows that I listen to a ton of podcasts. And primarily it's the movies by minutes, guys. But I also listen to a lot of bad movie review people and a lot of uh, wrestling podcasts. So um, today I'm going to recommend the, the Jim Cornette experience and or the Jim Cornette's drive through uh, Jim Cornette's a very polarizing figure in wrestling, I, I know, and sometimes his podcast gets into a political rant that I'm, I'm not necessarily into, uh, though I agree with most of the things he says. I don't need it screamed in my in my head, but uh, here's a guy that's been around since the, the early 80s, uh, even the late 70s as, as a photographer, who has been in every major promotion. He has seen and done most things. He has ran his own uh, federations, and he offers a great old school site into some of the things that may not be working in today's professional wrestling. So if you're a wrestling fan and you know who Jim Cornette is, definitely give his podcast a listen with him and, and the great Brian Last. Uh, but that would be my recommendation for, for this week. Uh, until we meet again, everybody. Um, definitely, again, hit us up on social media. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, anything like that, uh, you can reach me at SUP, your local podcast. That's S-U-P-P, your local podcast at gmail.com. I will definitely get back with you on that. Um, and oh, hey, great news. I almost forgot to, to go over this. Uh, if you're listening to this, by the time this releases, uh, there has already been a special announcement on what is happening with the podcast. So episode eight was our halfway point. We're at episode 10 right now. Um, I promised by the time we hit our halfway point, I would let you know what's going on. Uh, good news is, and I'll, I'll let you listen to the announcement for the, the official stuff. 
Um, but this is going to continue. I'm going to continue doing this podcast. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I hope you are too. Uh, but uh, that announcement has been released on social media. Uh, that announcement has been released on YouTube. So definitely check that out. Get a feel for what is coming, what you can look forward to uh, when you subscribe to this podcast. So uh, until then, guys, I, I love you. Uh, take care. Uh, as always, thank you for your time and support your local podcast. He stuck his finger in the end of your what?